This episode is brought to you by the generosity of our listeners. I don't see that I made a turn in any direction. I just kept following that still small voice. That's John Morris, Army veteran and former Pentagon officer on this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. Put your faith to work. This is the Bold Idea Podcast with ideas, interviews, and inspiration to bring your bold ideas to life. Here are your hosts, Larry Gates and Armin Asadi. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Bold Idea Podcast. This is your co-host, Larry Gates. Along with Armin Asadi. And we're so glad that you're a part of this show. We have a great interview uh, stored up for you today. Someone who is uh, a mentor, perhaps, of yours, Armin? I wish. No, it's just a recent connection from getting into military ministry. Someone who came extremely highly recommended and as significant of a role as this man has played. I thought he was going to be untouchable and he's been nothing but warm, welcoming, inclusive, open-handed, and just everything I didn't expect. And now through this episode, maybe just a little bit more a yeah. mentor, at least the kinds of information so. that you want to get from a mentor <laughs> yeah. is coming right up. We are talking to John Morris today. He's a senior instructor at the General Colin Powell Leadership Academy, but he spent 31 years in the U.S. Army and the Army National Guard. He has served as the staff chaplain and action officer of the chaplain's office at the Pentagon until his recent retirement. And I'm so thrilled to welcome to the Bold Idea podcast, John Morris. John, welcome to our show. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. Well, I'm glad you're glad you're with us. You've had uh, quite a distinguished history and actually quite a few uh, quite a few changes in your uh, vocational expression. I'd love to get your story and let our li listeners know how you got from where you started out in your career to where you are today. Well, thank you. I recently retired after 31 years of service with the United States Army. Uh, I also retired as a United Methodist pastor this year, and I started a new chapter of ministry teaching uh, high school, junior ROTC program in the inner city of Minneapolis. Started following the Lord at 19 and going uh, where he asked me to go, and it's been a quite a journey, and I'm glad to be where I'm at now. What was the first big test of your newfound faith when you were 19 that uh, God called you to? Yeah, it was uh, deciding whether I was going to listen to my parents or listen to God. <laughs> I was uh, raised in a cultural Christian home, I'll say it that way, and uh, it was important to my dad to make money, and his advice in going to college was get a degree where you could make a lot of money. But I uh, sensed a call from God, and that was our first big adult-level parting of ways in terms of heeding advice. You know, I went the path of, uh, of serving others and serving the Lord, much to the chagrin of my parents. And is that when you started into the military then? No, it, it's when I uh, ditched my University of Minnesota business degree path and headed towards a degree in education, not knowing that that would lead to full-time ministry, but made that big shift of serving self to serving others. What does that look like in terms of moving from... Uh, serving self to serving others when you're going from business to education? Yeah, you know, a real paradigm shift in the sense of, uh, and I, I would imagine it's still the same today, but, you know, I was really raised on um, pursuing money as a measurement of success and comfort and security. It was never couched in the terms of naked greed. It was just, that's what you did. You got a good job and 
good benefits and it was about taking care of yourself. Hmm. And the concept of serving other people as the primary mission in life that I'm sure I heard it from somebody along the way, but I didn't hear it in my home of origin. And so uh, that was a tough one to express to my parents and say that it was a faith-based decision. And I, I believed I needed to do that. And uh, that came with some cost. And you, know, you want your parents' of, uh, approval. You want to know that you're not crazy, but you gotta you got to be faithful and go with what the Holy Spirit's leading you to do. And so for me as a young adult, that was my first venture in hearing and following the Spirit's leading. And I had peace in moving in that direction, but also that great sense of um, sadness to know that I was going to move that way without a blessing from my family. Yeah, so there might be a number of our listeners that are facing the same kind of dilemma where they know that uh, they probably are interested or should consider an option that might not be what their family is suggesting for them. And what advice would you give somebody in that situation today based on the experiences you had? Yeah, we could talk the next hour on that. Uh, So real quickly, I would say, number one, make sure that you're getting good counsel from your uh, leaders of your community of faith. Being grounded in a church community and not being a lone ranger, I think, is an important part of being able to strike out in the direction God's calling you to go. Try not to burn any bridges with your family and be respectful as possible because you're being a witness to them about your faithfulness in your relationship with God. And you want to cross back over that bridge and be able to love and support and share with them as you go forward. But at some point, take comfort in the scriptures. There's many occasions where men and women were called by God and they weren't understood by their families. And that's part of the price we pay sometimes to be disciples. Yeah, what was the cost that you incurred as a result of that decision? Well, I never really received any support from, you know, my parents for my call. Mm. I don't say that with any sense of uh, feeling bad for myself. I just, it's just the facts, you know. For some people, it's very important that they get affirmed by their family. And that just didn't happen for me. And... uh in one sense, it actually strengthened my resolve. But you know when you're going to follow Christ, not everybody. You're not going to get 100% Gallup approval poll ratings. <laughs> what did that, uh, it, when that relationship got strained from you making that decision, um, other than not getting the support of your family, what else did that look like? I mean, were you rejected from the family? Were you banished? Or I mean, what did that? Ex- how did that exactly play out? Well, I mean, I think we're just coming through the holiday season, so I think everybody could relate. There's always that one person that comes to your family holiday gatherings that's the black sheep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that that would be me. Oh, good. We have something in common. You know, the religious one or the Jesus freak or whatever you want to call uh, you know, you're just going to be out of step, or I was out of step. And after a while, I, that didn't bother me as much. And of course, I went through a time period of trying to convert my family. And ultimately, I just had to surrender them to the Lord. You know, conversion's his responsibility. My responsibility is to be a faithful witness and, and to love them. And that's what I did. So you got you pursued your degree in education then instead of the degree in business. And then where did that take you after you finished with that? Well, I graduated and just in time for the economy of the United States to collapse and (laughs) jobs drove right up. And so I ended up on a carpentry crew for a couple years building houses. That didn't go well because uh, interest rates spiked up into the 20 percent 
for mortgages, hard for people to imagine today. And uh, all that time, though, I sensed uh, just a continued nagging call to draw closer to the Lord, to share his word with people and uh, to serve him, which I thought meant to serve him as a teacher. I did teach for a couple years after being a carpenter. I loved every minute of it. Uh, but again, that sense of being able to share the Lord was strong. And I started talking to uh, men who were in ministry about their calls and is what I'm experiencing a call or should I continue as a layperson in the church? And the sage advice I received from uh, Dr. Phil Heinerman at Park Avenue United Methodist Church was, if you can't get away from this, God is calling you and you will know because it will be an unrelenting sense that you're supposed to be doing something full time for him. Mm-hmm. And that was true. And I surrendered to that call and and went to seminary, and that was a very affirming experience. And that's when I joined the Army as a chaplain. So that was uh, 37 years ago, or 31 years ago. Correct. Uh, that's awesome. Thank you for your service. That's uh, that's amazing. And you served in the Pentagon. What was that experience like? Well, remember, the uh, nickname for the Pentagon is the Five-Sided House of Pain. <laughs> I didn't so, know that. <laughs> I don't think I wanted to know that. <laughs> yeah, that's the world's largest headquarters building, both geographically in terms of number of people working under one roof. It's a tough place to work. Uh, not many people come out of there and say, gee, I wish I could do that again. Um, <laughs> and as you see today with the turmoil in our government, uh, the Pentagon's at the epicenter of that turmoil with government shut down the Resignation of Secretary of Defense. Every day there is a lot of stress, a lot of hard work, a lot of interbureaucratic competition for scarce resources, and then lay over that the veneer of war and the pain and reality that causes. And it was a challenging, tough, tough place. But I saw God at work there. There are vibrant Bible studies in that building wonderful ministries, a lot of bivocational pastors work in that building who are Department of the Defense civilians during the day and then leading amazing churches, mainly ethnic churches, in the evening and on weekends. What would you say are some of the differences between the spiritual needs of people that are working in the Pentagon, perhaps, than you've seen in other places? Well, I think they're tired. That that place has unrelenting challenges. The defense of the nation's a 24-7 challenge. Uh, the erratic nature now of the budgeting process of the United States causes undue stress on people in the Pentagon. The uh, exponential growth of technological challenges in the United States stretches the staff in there to, to stay at, abreast and figure out how to defend the country. So imagine you're working in the headquarters of a country that's under attack 24-7, which it is. Were you there uh, during 9-11 then? No, I wasn't. But when you think of cyber attacking, you think of espionage, all the things that go on every day. The country of the United States is at war every day, Mm -hmm. not just kinetically, uh, but in all kinds of ways. And so the tension level, uncertainties caused by the budget, trying to see over the horizon into the future and build the defense of the national need in 20 years, that just creates some very unique challenges on those people. Did you find as a chaplain that people were more open to spiritual discussions than other places or was it harder to break into that? It's situation dependent. You know, pretty secular place, Washington, D.C. Hudson Smith, I I think that's his name, the great religious scholar out of MIT said, you know, if uh, Sweden's the most secular country in the world and India is the most religious, the United States is uh, 
led by Swedes and populated by Indians. <laughs> I've never heard that. This is amazing. <laughs> so the Pentagon's a place where political correctness um, is in the air, and there there are plenty of believers and plenty of seekers, but that's all in a government environment where the open discussion of religion is fraught with misunderstanding. So a lot of one-on-one ministry there, or if people find their way into a Bible study by invitation of friends. But, you know, it's working with pretty smart people who, are, if they're inquirers, are trying to work out their understanding of the faith, or very smart people who are people of faith trying to figure out how to apply that faith in, in tough, tough situations that national defense presents to them. So, you know, John, I know that you've d- done some tours out in, uh, in the Middle East and uh, you've seen hell on earth uh, in some of the worst ways. In the, you know, regions of war that you've been to, what were some of the greatest uh, faith lessons that you got from God in those moments? Well, minute by minute surrender of my life to God's ultimate wisdom because combat is, it's episodic, it's uncertain, and you see men who are well-trained do everything right and still die, and you see men who are not well-trained do nothing right and live. Mm-hmm. So, so you recognize that there is uh, chaos in the air, and at any moment you could be dead or maimed. So you can live in panic or anxiety, or you can literally existentially say, okay, Lord, I only have this moment. How how do I live it fully for you? Because I don't know what the next moment holds. And be at peace with that, not, not lose your mind, which I did see a handful of men literally have nervous breakdowns because of the inability to handle anxiety. So that was the big one for me. I wish I could tell you I could apply that all the time in all circumstances, but it was a grace that God gave me at that time. I think uh, the other thing was just a deep empathy, you know, for peoples of the world other than Americans who have to live in such horrible circumstances. And I think, you know, Armin, your life would certainly speak to this growing up in Iran. It's tough to see how hard some people have in their lives. And it it gave me another measure of compassion. Mm. You don't hear that often from people who have made it up the ranks uh, the way that you have. So that's a fresh breath of air for me to hear that. I'm curious, in your experiences during war, did anything ever make you question your faith? Yeah, thanks for asking. That's a good question. I hope you'll keep asking that of veterans. I don't know how you can go to war. I did see it happen. I did see a lot of people who they didn't they just didn't question what they saw around them. But my experience, the way I tell it to people is going to war is like pulling the sewer grate off of hell and then dipping people into hell. Because war is the taking of human life and that's antithetical to everything that Christ taught. So Certainly, there must be a demonic dimension unleashed on a battlefield. And when you get into such a chaotic, bewildering environment, for me, it just caused me to relook my theology of uh, the kingdom of God. What does that mean to have the kingdom come on this earth at this time? What does it mean to be an American Christian in a war that turned out to uh, take place for one reason? And we found out we had bad intelligence and we had broken the nation of Iraq looking for something that wasn't there. What do I do with that? There were some big, deep things like that. 
I, it didn't question my belief in God or my understanding of the Trinity. It questioned my application of the gospel and my understanding of what it meant to be an American Christian. Wow. That's a real deep lesson that most of us as Christians will never really be exposed to needing to think those things through. When you visit with returning servicemen from the field of battle, what are some of the things that you find yourself counseling them about? You know, uh, it depends, of course, on the person. A lot of times I, I'm just trying to share with young soldiers, you're going to hear a lot of talk that you're a hero or the thank you for your service, which you guys have been so gracious. And I said, be careful, understand that you're receiving affirmation that another generation didn't get, mm -hmm. and some of which you don't deserve. You're not a hero. We volunteered for the military, and we did what we signed a contract to do, and we were amply rewarded for it. That makes us faithful to our word. That's not necessarily heroic. And I'm trying to emphasize that with young soldiers, A, because I think it's a healthy thing for them to keep their ego in check, and B, mm -hmm. the real heroes came home in body bags. Mm -hmm. And those young men and women, we can't ever forget or diminish their sacrifice or forget the pain of their families. And, you know, if we're all heroes, then nobody's a hero. Mm -hmm. So that's my most common thing. You know, the other thing is to try to warn soldiers about prematurely determining that they were a victim of the war and trying to cash in on that. Not all of us have PTSD. Not all of us were damaged. Very, very few of us took another life or even witnessed any sort of harsh combat. And you wouldn't know that if you hadn't been in Iraq or Afghanistan because you can't get that sense from watching TV reporting. And I always, again, try to caution young warriors be honest about where you were and what you did and try not to take advantage of people uh, who might not understand where you were. Wow, that's good. <laughs> I'm still grappling with the real heroes <laughs> went home in body bags. Yeah, no. <laughs> Man. This is the Bold Idea Podcast. Well, I mean, let's take a moment and give thanks where thanks are due. Come on. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody that's out there supporting this podcast so that it can exist, thank you because it would not exist without you. Oh, that is so true because this is a nonprofit endeavor. We don't make any income from it. Very nonprofit. <laughs> In fact, we, we uh, provide support to it. So we're so appreciative if you're joining with us through your tax deductible contribution to make this show possible. And if you do want to support and keep this bad boy going, then just go to boldideapodcast.com forward slash donate. So, John, I, I want to kind of fast forward this. You... Obviously, coming out of the Pentagon, it's, I, I assume you don't lack opportunities to do, uh, you know, to the world standards, big things. Um, you chose to go down a route that, that serves a marginalized community in Minneapolis, trying to help these uh, marginalized kids to have an incredible future. What did it take to make that kind of decision to be in the school that you're in and to do what you are doing currently? Well, you know, Armin, I appreciate your affirmation there. I I don't see it as maybe in the same lens you do. You know, we we walk our walk every day 
and our course is set for us. And so I don't see that I, I made a turn in any direction. I just kept following that still small voice and trying to be consistent with what Jesus asked us to do. You know, his his ministry was to the last, the least, and the lost. And I've been trying to do that since he called me. And this seemed to be a very obvious next step. And every day that I have been doing this since middle of September uh, has been uh, affirmation of that. You know, just a quick example. Yesterday, I took two young cadets over to University of Northwestern here in St. Paul. Their first college visit, both of them are uh, non-English speaking. You know, they're first generation here and speak Spanish at home. And to me, it was just a joy to um, be a part of that with them. I wouldn't get to do that any other way. I wish somebody had done that with me. I was the first in my family to go to college, and it's fun to try to help others maximize the opportunities that God has for them and show them how to get that done. I'm glad to do it. So I, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's where I'm at today. I'm, I'm curious, you you counseled young servicemen to rightly think about themselves in terms of the labels that might get attached to them and what would be the thing that could be said about you, John, and the service that you've performed that would be honoring to you, that you would you would embrace and accept and just say, that really is meaningful to me? What mark would you like people to know that you've left? The one that I'd love to have Jesus say on the final formation when we're at the, like I told the, always told soldiers, we're going to have a final formation on the judgment day. And uh, the, the thing you want to hear from the commander in chief is, well done, good and faithful servant. I'd like to be known as faithful but I think I told you, Armain, I'm trying to pay back a debt. The American Army liberated my mother's village when she was 17 years old during World War II. And uh, I'd like to think that my service is a part of uh, repaying the debt for those who died in the village liberating my mom. And uh, it's a way of setting conditions for the next generation to have some of the amazing experiences I had as being an American. Mm, wow. I really have to say with all genuineness here, John, thank you for having that long obedience in the same direction, serving not only in the military, but serving Christ in the way that you have. It was, it was such a great example. And it occurs to me that you've you've kind of turned your heart back to where you started with education and, and yeah, being yeah. Uh, teaching the high school students as well. How did you reach that conclusion when you decided you're going to retire from the military how did you decide that's where you're going to go? You know, the way God did this, I was in my last months in D.C., I got permission to do an internship with the Salvation Army, a ministry that I just love. And I thought I was being prepared to be a development officer. And I was going to return to Minnesota and try to work for Salvation Army or another great Christian organization raising funds. And two friends of mine here in Minnesota heard about this program in need of an officer and both contacted me. I knew about this program, but never thought there'd be an opportunity to work there. So I didn't pursue anything until these two got a hold of me. So the short way of saying that is God tapped me on the shoulder through two friends and said, hey, this is where I need you. Mm. And it was clear to me. I went, did the interview. My wife and I prayed about it and others that love and support us. And, and here I am today. So I wasn't pursuing this in the sense of wanting to be a teacher after getting out of the Army. I just wanted to serve in the kingdom um, somewhere where God needed me, and this is where he apparently needed me. That's great. What are you most excited about with this opportunity in front of you now? Well, again, having Armin there, I think he can really validate this for you. 
I'm a first-generation American. My mother came to this country. She was 28, and I was in her womb. She was fleeing a war-torn France, and uh, I know the struggles, watching what my mom went through, my own acculturization to this country, the chance to help young people who are poor, whose parents are struggling to make it here, and to help them mature physically, emotionally, spiritually, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, just, it's a real honor, and, uh, and I'm grateful to be able to do it. John, people like you are so rare to be able to have the experiences that you have and to come out with the level of humility that you have and uh, to have such a heart of a servant. Um, I, I just, every, every, as soon as I got into military ministry, your name came up more times than I can count. And, uh, I, I, two months ago, I'd never heard of you. And a month later, I think I heard your name about 50 times from <laughs> everyone that's ever either connected with you or knew someone that connected with you. And more often than not, you can know a person from their reputation and, uh, your reputation definitely precedes you. And I know there's just so much more to you than you would ever share, but man, you are incredibly wise. You have an incredible heart. And uh, Larry and I are just both extremely honored that you would take time to be here with us and just allow us to introduce you and the General Colin Powell Center to our audience just so they can know that people like you do exist and there are incredible people out there that they can learn from. Well, I appreciate that, Armin. I, you know this from your own ministry. God has salt everywhere. He's got his people all over. I'm one of those. You're one of those. And Larry, you are as well. And hopefully we can encourage those others that are spread out across the globe doing quiet work, trying to be light where they're at. Yeah. Amen to that, brother. So thank you so much. That's a good way, good place to leave our conversation. And uh, just want to thank you again, John, for being a part of our show and for all you've done. Okay, man. Well, thank you. Happy New Year to you and to all who will listen to this. God bless you. I yeah, bless you. Bye-bye. Well, I mean, I want to thank you for inviting your friend John Morris on our program. Hey, I, that just that's just John's humility and his willingness to always participate in something like God's doing. So, well, you know, I was listening to his life and just he has that kind of steadiness that you'd expect from a guy who's been in the army and an officer that's just like this got this steady beat going to mm -hmm. him, you know. And I remember Eugene Peterson late the late theologian Eugene Peterson wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Mm. And that seems like that kind of sums up John, doesn't that it? That sounds like a book John should write. <laughs> yeah, well, that is a book Eugene wrote, you know, but it certainly sounds like uh, something that, uh, that kind of characterizes him as a guy that just is like the steady, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just going to do what God's telling me to do. Yeah. And what he's doing right now, I just got to take you to the General Colin Powell Center. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, when John is there and just, just show you and just seeing the kids walk into his office, the level of respect that they have, the way that they communicate. Uh, I, mean, I mean, it's a, he, he's literally taking a community that doesn't necessarily fully grasp this uh, culture of honor, um, but he's instilling it into that environment into that atmosphere into that culture so it's kind of mission impossible because I, I grew up in that kind of neighborhood mm -hmm. i've never been able to see it done but i walked into john's office and these kids coming in and he's it's not just a possibility he is doing it mm. 
It's incredible. Hmm. And I know that not just because of the way they address John, mm-hmm. but they've never met me and they dressed me in the same level of respect that they addressed John, right? And that that's how you know that he's doing something incredibly special with these kids. He has commanded their respect. Well, he's taught them how to respect, mm. not just him. Yeah, but oh, everyone that's good. else, yeah. right? Amazing. Because I can teach my kids to respect me out of fear, right? <laughs> <laughs> or something bad, but <laughs> go to school and start beating up kids or whatever, right? So uh, it's it's just uh, what he's done is really special. Oh, that's awesome. It's cool to see someone. And I'd like calling. to see that. That would be yeah. a lot of fun. It would be. Well, you know, he said a few things during the podcast that I thought were noteworthy, at least for me, as as they stood out. And, and one was his whole idea of minute, by minute surrendering to God's grace. And he said, I only have this moment. Mm. And I think, you know, you and I've talked about this on the show, people who operate in this sense of the present Mm. are very attractive people. Mm -hmm. They're with you. They're aware of God's grace in the present. Yeah. And that itself is a discipline. Mm. You know, it's a discipline I'm trying to learn. So it really stood out to me. And as he, he is talking about that, I just got a sense of, you know, he's the kind of person who's going to pray for direction hmm. and where most of us pray for rescue. Yeah. You know, wow. the, our prayers are usually rescue prayers, not right. direction prayers. Right. And, and I get the impression he's lived a long life of just kind of continually seeking direction yeah. and relying on God's grace for the moment. So that really uh, hit me. And then I think you and I both were struck by his analogy or metaphor that uh, war is like opening up a, a, Something a, sewer, a sewer grate and, and oh, dipping yeah, people into hell. Oh yeah, opening up the sewer hell. grate and dipping them into hell. That's right. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. Man, if that isn't a strong kind of word picture, I have yeah. no idea what it is. But how he relied on God's grace to give him empathy for people in difficult situations. And, and I think those who have seen war and have, or have been affected by it as victims of that, mm. there's just a tremendous amount of grace that needs to overcome that yeah. hell dipping experience. Mm. So I'm like, I was, I was kind of blown away by that. But, you know, he started the interview with what I think was a really cool nugget. And what was that? I guess the impression that John's the kind of person you're going to spend all this time with and he's just going to stay stuff. And then after you talk, you realize, oh, you know, he just said that as if it was nothing. But really, there's a lot <laughs> packed into that. And, you know, it's just one of those things. Absolutely. But he was talking about, you remember the resistance that he received in his course change and his directional change his parents didn't want him to mm. take, right? And, mm. you know, we asked him, so what, you know, what did you learn from that? And he said, three things, right? Now, this is how I wrote it down. One is seek counsel. Mm. right from from people that you trust maintain connection remember he said don't burn bridges mm. to your family right yeah. so seek counsel maintain connection and then he said take comfort in the scriptures wow you know and and to me that's a pretty good formula right there i mean i just like i don't know that if he kind of intended it to be you know like this three thing but repeat it again what are well, those three again well, when you're facing a challenge or resistance to your calling right seek counsel make mm-hmm. sure that it's right mm-hmm. maintain connections with those who are resisting you yeah. you don't want to burn bridges yeah. and the third was seek the comfort of scripture wow, that's good and it occurred to me that those three equate to confidence in moving ahead in your calling. Yeah. And 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 he, we just went over that so quickly that it was one of those things where, oh, you know, I felt like afterwards we should have gone back and mined that further. But but <laughs> I sure think he really, yeah, I th- but, but I think his life kind of gave evidence of that mm-hmm. as he told the rest of his story. So, well, I just really appreciated that. 
Yeah, and you you can see it in the way that John leads, John talks. He's very confident in what he's doing. He's very confident in the role he plays, and uh, he doesn't regret his decisions often. I mean, and I don't know him that well, but just based on the questions I was asking him, how he's made the decisions that he's made, just that, at least my perspective was he's very comfortable with the decisions he's making because he's going into them with a godly confidence, mm-hmm. not a skill set, talent, experience, education confidence that most of us go into a situation with. And as much as I'd like to, or most of us would like to say that we do the same thing, I I just feel like John's a very rare breed. Mm. That God confidence attribute, that's a very rare breed. Yeah, certainly a role model, I think, for all of us and something to gain from all of us as we look at what bold idea God might be calling us to, to kind of have that. We're going to have resistance. Yeah. Right? And and to have that confidence that I think comes from seeking counsel, maintaining connection, and taking comfort in what the scriptures tell you about your life. That's good stuff. Yeah, and uh, boy, that just came out and you know, I didn't even recognize it when I first heard it. I'm so, glad you summarized it because I, I didn't catch it like that way. so good. It's so good. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Bold Idea Podcast and you'll find our show notes at boldideapodcast.com slash 86. It's there. You can also leave a comment for us, which we'd love to receive. And uh, we also love for you to uh, review our podcast. Let others know what you think about the show. Easy for you to do that. Just go to boldideapodcast.com slash review and you can either choose iTunes or Stitcher or Google or wherever you find the show. There are links there to help you and in fact instructions on how to leave a review. We greatly appreciate it. It helps get the word out about our show. Of course, one great way to get the word out about our show is just tell other people that you listen to it and invite them to be part of the conversation. So that's all we have for you this time. Until next time, this is Larry Gates and Armin Asadi saying so long. Go put your faith to work. You've been listening to the Bold Idea Podcast. To get our show notes sent to your inbox, visit boldideapodcast.com.